Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I got into the wire and, and I started watching it and I was just like, wow. It was like watching a, a like a beautifully written novel. It was Shakespearean to a point. And I just was like, this is good. And then just knowing what we were about to do for season four, I was excited for just not uh, myself as an actor, but the viewers to see that like they were gonna take him into a completely different side of the wire. And I didn't know if they were going to be ready for it because I was nervous, man. I got after watching the first three seasons, I had fell in love with Hedris and, and Avon and the Boxdales and, you know, and I just was nervous. Like, damn, we're going to be in a different world with these people. And I just hope they can accept it. Hi, yeah, it's Dave here. And I'm Kobe. And uh, this is The Wire Stripped. Uh, it's the podcast where we watched HBO's The Wire week in, week out. And you don't just hear from us with me with a croaky voice. <coughs> I apologize. You hear from the cast and the crew and some fans. That's you guys as well. Uh, and if you want to chat to us, uh, then do so at the Wire Stripped on uh, Twitter, Instagram, all that, all that stuff at the Wire Stripped. Yeah. Uh, today's episode is season four, episode three, homerooms. Yeah. Get into. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let's get down those homerooms. When you walk through the garden, you gotta watch your back. Well, I beg your pardon Walk the straight and narrow track When you walk with Jesus He's gonna save your soul Just gotta keep the devil Way down in the hole He got the fire and the fury Okay, so we're... We're on the railroads, we're on the train tracks. Nothing's happened uh, here for a few years because... Because um, Melody's on the straight and narrow. He is. Yeah. So no cops turn up and drink and Very throw... Quiet here. Yeah, we were looking around and there doesn't seem to be as many beer bottles and broken glass shards no, it's all, it's as you'd all expect. Cleaned up, all cleaned up. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame. Oh, wait, what's that? Two... There's two headlights in the distance there, Dave. Oh, here they come. Uh, I knew they couldn't. Yeah, I knew they like couldn't. back in back in action. With a little taste. <laughs> will, we, will we start there? Will we start with the bug of McNulty? So you get a bit yeah, of. Yeah, um, oh, let's go back to the to the old the old old stuff. So they, so we get um we get kind of get a bit of McNulty's new life here, don't yeah. we? Yeah. So Bunk gets invited round for dinner, brings a nice red. He feels very yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, he looks out of place, doesn't this, he? In fact, this whole this they didn't even know. Did he want to put? Ice in the in the wine. I can't he wanted to put ice in that red in wine. In that red wine, yeah. yeah. So, which is not commonly done. But no, um, I'm sure people do, and I'm sure it's acceptable in circles. But generally, that's not what you do. And no, 
But, but he also refused the ice. So McNulty said, "Did you do you want do you want ice in it?" And he said, "Nah, man, that's a double digits wine," is what he said. So it's like he's cool and putting ice, ice in a cheap wine. wine. That's yeah. probably the kind of thing I would have done as a student. To be fair, just get the cheapest <laughs> wine and to make it as palatable as possible, throw the, ice in there. These guys are no good unless they're knocking back some beers or Glenfiddich and uh, James. James. I think Glenfiddich is Bunks. Yeah, drink, isn't Jameson's it? and uh, Jameson is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It is nice to see these two together again. Both, it is, but always. A, and it's interesting to watch them in these kind of, like, a bit of a different environment. Like, and they, they like, Bunk doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't look comfortable does at all. looking at Jimmy in this environment. He looks uncomfortable yeah. when he's not wearing a suit. <laughs> yeah, right? He looks <laughs> out of place. <laughs> and I love the whole, there's a lot of comedy in here. And it's nice to see Beady again. And it's nice that bunk asks the kids and you call him mcnulty not jimmy uncle jim yeah. <laughs> it's like mcnulty, McNulty? okay <laughs> it kind of checks out it is but we do ultimately get uh, get back to the railroad we do get back to the railroad and yeah bunk is questioning mcnulty's life saying i get mate you can't hide that from me basically Bunk's a bad influence, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like leave Jimmy half his like his happy little life. He here. seems happy. He's doing well. He's yeah. a bit more chilled out. He's smiling. Let him smile. He's happy, and uh, you know Bunk Bunk can't have it. He wants his mate back. He wants his drinking <laughs> buddy back. But um, Bunk, there's a lovely bit of bit of writing here. So like kudos uh, to um, Richard Price who who wrote this episode. But the Bunk. Bunk brings up uh, the, this little nice little metaphor for uh, for Jimmy about this, and, and none of this means anything to me because it's. I think we're just too far away here in <laughs> here in old Blighty. But he's talking about corner shops that sell chicken and KFC and whatever, and they and they there's this, uh, they advertise the fish as being lake trout, right? Even though we're nowhere near <laughs> lakes, right? And he says it's marketing, but he he says it's all dressed up like. Like something it ain't. And yeah. He kind of looks looks pointedly at Bunk at, at Jimmy, basically like this ain't this ain't you, Jimmy. You can dress up all you like as as playing house, but you know, McNulty I, is McNulty. I see you. I see you. And I I like I really like this line watching this episode because that kind of that to me felt like it, it worked in a lot of these plots. You know, dressed up as something it ain't. You know, it it it, it also applied to Bunny. Who we meet again in this episode, mm-hmm. uh, dressed up as this hotel security chief. Right, it's not quite right for him either. He's out of place. It applies to um, Michael on the corner. You know, right, Michael like is good at it, but he just doesn't seem out of. He it doesn't seem right, and he feels like he shouldn't be there. Yep. It applies to Prez definitely. He's dressed up as something he 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 isn't yet, or he will hopefully get better at. And it kind of it also we met the co-op again. I feel like it could be applied to the co-op. They're dressed up as something they ain't. Like Stringer Bell was dressed up as something yeah, they yeah. ain't, right? This like this like this this criminal syndicate playing legitimate business and having having meetings and minutes. And <laughs> you know uh, those little corner joints in the ghetto that sell subs and fried chicken, lake trout. Lake trout. I get creams in New York. No eggs, no cream. Exactly. No lake, no trout. (laughs) (laughs) Pogies. White fish. Trash fish. Exactly. White trash fish. I mean, lake trout, that's all marketing. It's just all dressed up like something it ain't. 
Oh, Lake Trout, the, 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 the actual fish? Boo, hiss. This is Bubbles' Tormentor, played brilliantly by the actor Armando Cadigan Jr. Lake Trout is a better version of Catfish. Nice size, but still battered the same way, still cooked fried the same way. You know, uh, but I just think it's a better version of a catfish. You know, some shit that we done made up, you know what I mean, that we eat and it's delicious, that we eat it with fries or we put put that mambo sauce, that hot sauce on it. You know, I I don't eat this shit no more because, that, you know, that's some, when your body can afford to eat it at 14, 15 years old. <laughs> But yeah, Lake Child is a thing. That's a Baltimore classic. You know what I mean? That's a Baltimore classic. Lake Child with some wings. Lake Child with a crab cake. Like it's a classic. It's, it's one of them things. But what about in your notes? One, sorry, we make notes, guys. Um, <laughs> inside of baseball, you talked about Randy actually dressing up as something. Yeah, he's literally putting on other kids' uniforms. <laughs> he's dre literally dressing up as something. I love Randy. Yeah. This kind of wily, wily coyote. <laughs> escapades we'll get to randy in a second um i think we should we talked about the introduction of uh reintroduction i should say of um bunny should we go straight to him or should yeah. we go to, yeah let's we'll talk go, about bunny let's yeah. talk about bunny oh it's good to see him again and we meet the rev oh uh, the yeah. the deacon what I, what i like about the scene is that the uh you know the rev comes to bunny's house and he's uh we see that street, which is just littered with yeah, <laughs> election it's depressing. signs. It's depressing amount. He's so pissed off, yeah. and he keeps he says, "I take them in." They keep just bringing them out, and um, there's a on the audio commentary on the on the the Blu-rays. Oh. Dave, David Simon says that he asked the art department to ramp up the uh, the amount of election. Uh, material that you see on the streets as the episodes go closer and closer to oh, really? the election. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then he asked them to ramp it down again. So it's like that's how much thought was put into this. So we well, let's look after that, guys, in the, the next episode. The closer you get, yeah. yeah. And there's a brilliant scene. We'll get to Omar in a minute. But mm. the, another great election moment was when Omar comes out of his house and tears down the. It's <laughs> Mayor Royce. Yeah, I noticed Royce that. Yeah. Thing. I like that. <laughs> but Bunny, yeah, Bunny's back. Oh, uh, the Rev's trying to get him to take a job down at a. Uh, down at the university, but he says, "No, nah, I got this cushy, cushy hotel gig, man. Get get a car and all." Yeah, absolutely, yeah. the take home car. Um, but yeah, but it's not him. It's not him. He's dressed up as something he's not. And when we see that scene, he goes into the hotel room and is immediately on the side of the of the of the sex worker who's been abused uh, against her, John, who essentially gives the hotel lots of money so they want to protect him and yeah. that's what that's what loses him his job there because he's trying to do right and the hotel like well we need his money because he brings conventions which means a lot of money for us uh and yeah but he just knows i'm not sure if he's fired or he just leaves because he knows that's not for him yeah it's not not, not quite clear but either way he's bunny takes a stand yeah to a, to a point like he doesn't have the power or authority to he doesn't have the arrest that guy yeah. and he's reminded of that but you're not police. He that walked, must have been. He walks out of there. That must have been absolutely gutting for him. You're it not police gonna, anymore. Yeah. yeah, but I like this. This tells us that straight away, Bunny's the same. Bunny's the same Bunny. Bunny's the same Bunny. Right. He's like he's a man of principles, and you just gotta love him. Um, but this leads us to he goes back with his not with his tail between his legs, but he speaks back to the deacon, and deacon introduced him to this project that the university are doing, uh, where they're trying to kind of understand the youth on the street in Baltimore. Um, Bunny says, and they want to speak to like 19 to 21 year olds, and Bunny's just laughing, going, <laughs> too old, <laughs> too, man. Too late. <laughs> too late. Yeah. Uh, I'll show you. 
and throws this wide-eyed kid into um, into holding cell. Carver's like with Carver. Carver says, "You sure you don't want to stay?" Um, but this kid absolutely tears into the the university student stroke um, academic. Yeah. And that I was, pen. put that pen down. It's I, it's I a scary kind of scene. I was terrified. Yeah. I was terrified for myself, uh, let alone for for him in that room. And Bunny's just almost laughing, but also gets a chance to be his old Bunny, and you know he, he wrestles him down onto the onto the desk. Yeah. Um, and that's where you see a bit, a bit of glint in. You, know, you can see that kind of spark in his eye going yeah. back again. And he's being useful. And it's, it's this feels like a, such a good position for Bunny, isn't mm. it? Because he's that. Um, He's an agent of change. He's someone who had um, a vision for a different kind of world. Yep. And now he's teamed up with somebody who can actually maybe do that, can influence policy to a point where it might actually happen. And yep. I think these two feel like Parenti is the guy's the guy's name. Dr. David Parenti. Strong name, David. Nice. Um, he he feels like... Uh, <laughs> David Simon. Can't think of any other <laughs> David. <on>. around. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Wait a sec. He, um, he feels like... The, these guys feel like a good pair, don't they? Yeah. Like they yeah, both totally. have a common objective but are from different worlds and they kind of need each other. Um, and I, I think this is an exciting kind of endeavour. That Like this is, feels like a bit of season three energy, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Like, totally. Can they make a difference to these kids? All I knew is that I was kind of broke and without a job. You are listening to the beating heart of The Wire. It's Robert Wisdom, Bunny Colvin. And that I'd have to go back and... and you know, surrender my my work and my services to security work. You know, um, I had no idea at the time of the schools and what was happening. I mean, I started doing some research when we kind of got a hint that because um, uh, Ed Burns, that was also one of his provinces, is uh, you know as a teacher, so he's kind of getting schooled up on on you know issues of of public schools and and um you know in the hood and the politics of it and all that but there was really all i knew is that you know i had a robe to put on in that first scene that was you know where i meet deacon on the porch and um and then i later put on that blue us uh blazer that the security guy wears and you know none of them really fit you know it's just like it was an odd feeling but it was like why am i you know it's like they didn't fit they and i think it was like a you know without laying too much on it but it was like my the body of bunny was like this isn't what you're gonna do you know so there was a little hunger that was, bur- uh, you know, with birth in the, in those early moments, uh, early episodes. Um, but we had no idea where it was going. And I had no idea, hadn't met the kids yet. And they were amazing. Amazing. Again, Alexa Fogel. My reaction to that scene is, wow, can't we do both? Um, because I think Colvin's point is a really beautiful one. We have got to invest in kids as early as possible. This is the voice of Kristen Henning. She's the director of the Georgetown Juvenile Justice Initiative, and she also wrote the book Rage of Innocence, How America Criminalizes Black Youth. And, and indeed, there's some research that shows that adolescents 
are most receptive to uh, most receptive and most resilient um, during those, you know, sort of middle to, uh, to, to young to middle adolescent years. That said, there's also research showing that you can intervene even um, with the most violent offenders, right? With through community-based interventions, but you have to be tailored. There are some strategies called, you know, um, multi-systemic therapy, family functional therapy, you know, um, uh, you know, adolescent, I think it's called regression therapy. There are ways in which we can engage that have been, you know, proven to work. Um, so, but, but we've got to invest. We really, really have to invest in, in that to make those work. Right. As you all know, we do have a Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Wire Stripped. But we now have another way you can help us out and the Ella Thompson Fund. Yeah. So if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, you can subscribe to us um, to get a lot of the same benefits as a Patreon account. But it makes it easier if you want to help contribute to the lovely people at Ella Thompson Fund, who, just to remind you, I'm sure we've said a few times this episode already, but they help support underprivileged kids in Baltimore in the way that Cutty did in The Wire. Uh, yeah, so you can get access to our episodes early. You can get access to our full uh, interviews uh, with the cast and crew, uh, including our extended interview with uh, David Simon. No adverts on there as well. And also Basking in the Glory, they help me out a lot of lovely people in Baltimore and the kids there. It's simple. If you're on Apple Podcasts, scroll up the feed now and there's a button for you to click on and it costs less than the price of a coffee every month to support lots of lovely people. Yeah, Omar's back, guys. We always love it when Omar comes back because he's fucking ace. Um, I love the scene. He gets up. He doesn't have his Hun Nut Cheerios and rightfully he's pissed <laughs> off. And that sets him off in his silk pajamas. Which he tries to holster the gun. Like <laughs> this, this. Oh my god, this seems amazing. <laughs> so many good little touches in it. He tries, and he tries the back, and he tries to tries to holster basically a hand cannon <laughs> to silk pajamas, which are hold, which are designed to hold up nothing. Um, yeah. And he's like, no, that's okay, it's not going to work. And he just saunters open chested through the streets. Yeah. And everyone's running. Omar coming. At no point are they thinking Omar's coming, but also he's like naked. It's so just the probably, power of Omar. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't even need... He's not even concerned. He tries to... Kind of half-heartedly tries to hold his gun. He's like, ah, eh, whatever. And but no, and later in this episode... They all avoid got, him. He's got his bulletproof vest on, but here, he just does, he's just bare-chested walking through the seat because yeah. he's not on that mission today. He's on the mission to get Honey Nut, Cheerios, Honey Nut Cheerios and he can't get them. But he's also so assured of his own power and authority... Do you think he's rightly even, so? Everyone just. Do you think he's even thinking about it? Do you think he, I'm not even sure he's thinking about that? I think he's just. Thinking, no, it's just, yeah, I just need to. Yeah, yeah, get, some, get some cereal. Yeah, <laughs> he does seem to just like walk, th- walk through the world like, like a predator, and mm. everyone just steers clear. Moves out of the way, yeah. and you get that amazing comic moment where he stops for a cigarette, and they just drop the package brilliant. right next to him. Oh my Absolutely God. brilliant. Uh, yeah. and then he, yeah, he picks up the package, goes back to Ronaldo, um, his his partner. And he's like, he's not even interested in that package. He needs a mission. No. Omar needs a mission. Yeah. He says that it's not interested. It, yeah, the product, the, it's like the, it's not about stealing the thing. It's about the, the, the thrill and the heist and the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says it later in the episode and when the, um, when they stick up that corner shop. Um, Old face on face. That, yeah, that's him. <laughs> it's about the look. He said that he gets the power, he gets the, the thrill from the power and the look of fear yeah. that he gets from that guy. And Ronaldo here we, we, in that scene, um, this is what we see, which is 
we get some proper good Omar. He's staking out the scene. He sees Kima. But Kima doesn't see him. Exactly. Crucially. <laughs> Kima doesn't see him. He pops, he spots the re-up. Um, I love that. Like, school yeah. school doesn't start till tomorrow. Like, yeah. man, he's smart. <laughs> he's, he's on it. He's on it right from the start. And, but when they do hold him up, old face Andre, he takes the, he takes the, takes the re-up, pays for the cigarettes, oh, waits yeah. for his chains. So good. His boy Ronaldo's like, dude, what the fuck? He's, so he's, I don't know, is Ronaldo new to him at this point? Is he, is it still? Yeah, it feels like, feels like, Ronaldo hasn't been on many many yeah. jobs with Omar because this feels like Omar's vibe. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, but yeah, totally. Yeah, this is this is great Omar through and through. Oh, I love that. I love it. Great introduction. What a cold open. What a you know, amazing scenes with Omar. So good to have him back. They know how the honey nut. I don't even want this. Guy. Why not? It ain't what you're taking. It's who you're taking it from. You feel me? How you expect to run with the wolves come night when you spend all day spawning with the puppies? Homerooms, because that was the first time we were in the school. You're listening to Maestro Harrell, who played Randy Wagstaff. That one, that was fire. And that was a lot of fun to shoot because it was just, you know, we, we finally, like, we're in the school, so now we got all these other kids with us. And we're like, oh, it was. And then on top of that, come on, we're, we're 14, 15, and 16, so, or th- 12, 13, 14, 15. Or not, yeah, 12, 14, 15, 16. So at the end of the day, now we're also like, oh, we're in this whole classroom with what, girls? Oh, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So it was, that was even dope. So we get, so we get, um, let's start with Royce maybe. So Royce, um, Royce has assembled his, his league of, his brain league squad. of evil. <laughs> <laughs> his brain squad, yeah. And they, uh, they absolutely get chewed out. And we see Royce is on the back foot now after the, debate and after mm-hmm. the embarrassment with the the state's witness and he basically he's going dirty now isn't yeah. he so take do take down clamp the clamp his vans outside his <laughs> put construction work outside his house like he's just doing take his signs nasty thing <laughs> take his signs like you see you see why royce got where he is because he plays dirty and he plays to win mm-hmm. um but what's interesting in this scene is that everyone kind of jumps when when Royce snaps including Burrell you mm. know we'll bury this whatever but um, Odell Watkins doesn't seem impressed does he Odell kind of just goes dude you had the money last year you should have made good with it and you yeah. didn't I brought and this to you you had the money pittance quarter of a mil man make use, yeah, you should have used it then and rightly Royce is like well obviously this is part of you saying playing his games he knows how to play the game if I use it now then people are going to pull on that I need to make sure I get re-elected and then pull out the Then do it. Yeah. He won't do it to give Karketi the win, which tells you where his priorities Politicking. are. Politicking, yeah. Right? He's more interested in his own re-election than Absolutely. in doing the right thing And this people is who are getting murdered. Inherently the problem with politics. So we're solving politics right here in this podcast. Yeah. It's <laughs> obvious, guys. <laughs> if, they're vote- if, they're- if they're being voted in, they want to stay in. And I remember... Uh, the scene with uh, Frankie Faison and uh, and Glenn Turman uh, in the mayor's office, and and I realized I am at a scene where you've got two black actors doing Shakespearean power moves around each other. This is Ernest Dickerson, a director on the Wire. You know, you got the mayor and the and the, and the police commissioner, 
and they're they're making this deal, you know, in this, uh, you know, in this wooden uh, structure. You know, it, there was a situation where normally you wouldn't see black actors in that kind of a situation, and uh, running those kind of you know uh, power games around each other. But uh, it was it was just fascinating, and uh, and you know, it was uh, you could tell that the actors were having themselves a great time. You know, they there was great writing, there were great roles, and there was a a whole lot of relish. I had no Frankie face on for years. I first worked with him, I believe, in that uh, do the right thing when I was sitting on the top. And um <clears throat> and it was just good to you know, work with him again and see him again and stuff and and Glenn Terman is his black cinema history, you know. Um and uh and it's always great to see him and work with him. And you know, just to see those two guys in a room together and you know, really going at each other. It was just a lot of fun. I did realize I was in a moment in history, too. They were playing the kind of scenes you don't normally see. We have become extraordinarily good at politics. And by politics, I mean the ruthless um, savaging of the opposition without any regard to the ideas undertaken. This is, of course, the man himself, David Simon, the creator of The Wire. Content doesn't matter. Maneuver matters. Power matters. What you actually do with that power, what you achieve with it, whether you leave your nation better or worse, is not the issue. The issue is maneuver and and attack and and dominate. And we're great at that now. We've 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 we've, we've got it down to a almost instantaneous news cycle um, of who's getting hurt, who's hurting, who's hurting them, how are they doing it, what can they use next. We're great at that. We, we become, we, we may be the, 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 the modern synthesis of media dishonesty and avarice. That's our political system. We are terrible. The worst we've ever been at governing ourselves. So Karkatsis on the other side is feeling the, the pinch from um, Royce's attacks with the construction work on his campaign headquarters. But also at the same time, he's getting 30 grand super quickly. Everyone's everyone's donating to him now. And as D'Agostino says, he got to Royce and they're all smiling. Yeah, you really pissed him off. Yeah, yeah because laugh. this is, this is uh, them, this is a victory for them. Yes. This is a different Carcetti than we've seen in the previous two episodes. Yeah, like absolutely. he was done. Yeah, he was like, ready to give we up. We didn't mention in the last episode, but like he was just like, he would rather play Battleship with his daughter and play a, a game he could win. I'd rather That's play Battleship with my kid than fucking be a mayor elect or whatever. Yeah, for sure. But, the, you know, that's where he was <laughs> an episode ago and now he's like, now he's back in action. The man's got fire. He's mm. got, he, 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 like, the tables have turned. And we also get that scene later on in the funeral where we see a bit more of Carcetti being clever, right? Because he got an opportunity to play to the media and you know as Norman describes it Norman pushes him into the the, the, the theatre you know there's a good chance for theatre here but he mm. says well who's the better audience here because he plays it cool in front of Odell and, and uh, Daniels Martha Daniels yeah. um, and he says they're more valuable to see that I've got you know I'm I'm in it for the right reasons yeah. and he's right because Odell is clearly wobbling here about he's supporting playing, yeah, Royce. He's, 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 he's biding his time, biding his sides to, you know. It's smart. It tells us Carcetti knows what he's doing. He knows how to maneuver these waters. Yeah. So Bodhi's 
Birdie's kind of by himself here. He hasn't got the power of the Bartsdale crew. He's doesn't want to sign a Marlowe. Um, it's kind of a strange predicament he's in. Uh, I don't know if not predicament is the right word, but he's, he's kind of out by himself without protection. And for me, that's fucking scary. And he's, it is scary. Yeah. But he's done, and he, he's done, he's done well in, in these three episodes. He's like turned it around. It's like things are getting busier. Like, because mm-hmm. both he's good. Mm-hmm. And he's now he's gotten the attention of Marlow, hasn't he? So this is this is a crucial moment <laughs> where Marlow gives him the ultimatum: you either take my supply now, or you get off this corner. Yeah, that's and a very aggressive buyout. Um, but he's got the he's got the muscle to, to back it up, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things you kind of gutted. I was like, I built this up from scratch, man. Um, but at the same time. Marlow will come and kill you, um, and that's and that's that's super dark. But <laughs> yeah, and he goes to Slim Charles for a bit of advice, and Slim Charles is coming from you know he's the Barksdale days, and mm-hmm. he hasn't got that power behind him either. No, but he's Slim Charles knows when when it's done, and yeah. I think he gives him the right advice. But Bodhi doesn't take it. Bodhi doesn't want to hear this, and because Bodhi, as you said, doesn't want to give up what he's built. Yeah. So interesting, interesting times. Man, when I came in, I didn't even know my character was going to be that significant of a part. And um, I think they kind of like fell in love with my voice and my statue and how I moved around with the rest of the cast. You're listening to Anwan Glover, who played Slim Charles. And um, they just started writing me in more. And um, the more and more I got wrote into the script, the bigger I got. And it was crazy because I was like, oh, I'm doing this this week. Oh, so they building me. They building my character. So it was crazy just to have that strip sent to me. And my lady printed out, my wife printed out online. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, okay, this description. And then I have to go secretly to pick up the strip because you can't email the pieces. And I'm like, okay, this is secret. You can't. And then I'm like, okay, my character is really moving i'm moving moving so it was from 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 avon boxdale to now i'm moving with the, the movers and the shakers with prom joe and when i got with prom joe that's when i just started growing even more the old with the old days the, the old days of the old days they, you know and, and it was like um jd's character was he always was out there he always was getting it he never had a problem but sometimes street people get caught up in, hey, it's, it's the same way. But then you got these new casters coming in. It's a whole number order. And I was just telling them, like, listen, now the old days are the old days, you know? So you gotta, you gotta be careful. I hated his character too at first. Jamie was my best man at my wedding uh, because I worked with him on uh, the TV series Bosch. And, uh, and, uh, <laughs> That's a whole other funny story. But, uh, yeah, he was the best man at my wedding. But, um, you know, Marlo, he's not the kind of character that you you admire. He's not the kind of character that you like. And I actually, you know, when I first went back to the show in the third season and started seeing how Marlo was, was starting to uh, eat into the Barksdale territory, you know, I was pissed off at this little guy. Who is this, who is this young motherfucker? Who do you think he is? You know? And then, and then it got really serious in season four with the, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the uh, vacants and all the bodies turning up into vacants. You know, that was, uh, that was, oh my God, he, 
he's just, uh, he's a monster. But he played it so beautifully. He just, you know, just straight ahead. You know, no emotion. There was no emotion to him at all. It was just pure calculation. He was almost like a, he was almost like a black Vladimir Putin. Colin, Patreon member. The story of Randy Wagstaff is one of the most tragic stories witnessed in season four of The Wire. Arguably the brightest and one with most potential, his naivety and misplaced trust in authority figures serves only to see him be a victim of circumstance, ignorance and protocol. The contrast of the beaming confidence male of Randy, surrounded by friends in episode one, to the frightened isolated figure in the final episode, demonstrates the detrimental effect of being caught up in the system. Well, thanks so much for that burner message and thanks for taking the time to leave a voice memo and sending it to our WhatsApp. If you guys listening want to do the same, you can do. Uh, just leave a short 30 second voice memo uh, to our WhatsApp at plus four four seven five three four eight three one six five eight. I don't know why I did that. Um, but there's also a, a way which might be easier for them. Tell them, Dave. Ah, yeah, you could just send us an email. It's burner <laughs> at thewirestrip.com. But goddammit! Use the phone. We don't, people don't pick up the phone enough these days, right? Send us a nice audio message, please, on the phone. Yeah. Uh, and this this week, we still want to know where season four ranks for you uh, and why, of course. Let us know why. Uh, and one more plug. We've got our Patreon, uh, and it's very nice. And there's lots of amazing content on there. Great uh, exclusive interviews with The Wire-related people. There's merch, apparently, which me and Kobe aren't allowed to have. Um, and uh, you get priority burner access. You get to the front of the queue. Um, and all of the money goes to uh, a good cause, the Ella Thompson Fund in Baltimore. Yeah, the Ella Thompson Fund is there. Um, think of what Cutty does for the kids after school and just gives the um, the kids a place to hang out that's safe and clean and warm and fun, of course, uh, after school. So the Ella Thompson Fund does that for those kids in Baltimore and is supported by David Simon and the whole of the team behind the wire. In the MCU, in the Major Crimes, there's a fallout of, there's a fallout of, <laughs> of Valchek uh, snitching. Yeah, they're, they're all in panic mode, <laughs> aren't they're, they? They're all in panic mode, and and also Royce again, probably pissed off with everything. They've changed out the the sleepy lieutenant for yeah. for Marimo. Rawls and Burrell know how to gut this unit. Yeah, they know how to gut it good. And they put in Marimo, who's. Uh, the editor of the Washington Post from from House of Cards. Yeah, yeah. Um, Great actor. And Lester Freeman calls him, refers to him as a virus. This is another person. <laughs> I love that. We talked about Walker in the previous episode. This is another person who, on rewatch, I don't know why I put so much hate into Ziggy the first few times, but this guy, Marimo and Walker, yeah. they're fucking nutbeds. He's hateable. Yeah. As, as soon as, uh, what's what's his, his word? It's like, I'm... Um, I'm all about uh, uh, supervision, mm. right? That's that's what he wants. It's just like I want to know every step of the way. And you know he's just this stooge, this career guy. Yeah. And when you see him with Rawls, and he's like, "Right, what about the subpoenas? What do you want me to do?" It's just like, ugh. And Asher is it Asher? Uh, hopefully yeah. he gets kicked off. Hopefully he gets his boat. I want to see his boathouse. <laughs> he gets oh. kicked down to what phone? 
Phone division. Watching phones. Phones, phone <laughs> scams. He's heading up the phone scam department or something. We get we get a lot of Rawls in this episode though. We do, yeah. You see you see you're reminded of Rawls's cunning. Yeah. And his like he wins. He basically beats Freeman, yeah. right? Or Freeman knew he couldn't win this game anyway. But what I like is that Rawls unlike, you know, previous you know, Rawls doesn't do a, do what he did to McNulty. He doesn't send him to the boats. He doesn't send like That's true. He he respects Freeman and he says it, you know, this is you're a fine damn police. So Rawls and we see this occasionally with Rawls. Rawls is a dick and he's the, he's up Burrell's and the Royce's ass and he's playing the game with everyone else. Mm-hmm. But he knows good police people and he is he's he's a good person when he needs to be. We saw it when Kima got shot yeah. in season one and that amazing scene where he tells McNulty it's not his fault. Yeah. And we see it here again when he does right by Freeman, even though he can't, he just knows he can't back Freeman's move with the subpoenas, but he gives him a, a nice spot in Homicide yeah. where, where his talents can be used. Yeah, this is completely right. You know, we said back in season one, this is why Rawls is where he is because he's, he's a good police officer and he's a dick for many different reasons, but ground one is he's a good police officer. Yeah. Um, and we saw, you know, and that's part of why there's fear when it goes to Comstat because he's he's seeking out these poor police officers who've kind of made it up the, up the ranks somehow. He loves Freeman. He he knows that team is talented. He's just like, guys, you've really backed me into a corner here. So yeah, Rod's right. just playing the game. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Freeman is less self-destructive than McNulty, so he he has a limit. And in fact, we see it. This is Eric Deggins. He's the TV critic at NPR. I mean, the reason that he winds up back in Homicide is because he just decides, okay, you know, it doesn't make any sense for me to keep, you know, pushing this boulder up this hill. Uh, he, he will stop before. And, and you know, he, he experienced that. You know, he um, when we meet him, he's someone who kind of got crushed by the system. And, uh, and, and, and he learned from it. So, um, so he's not willing to push it to the point of self-destruction the way McNulty is. McNulty will push it and push it and push it and he won't care who it hurts, um, even if it hurts him, even if it hurts people around him, he doesn't care, he'll keep pushing it. And Freeman's not like that. Well, you know, Freeman Freeman was always an interesting character from the first season when he was making those little uh, houses and everything. I've I've been a fan of Clark's for years. I I think I first saw Clark, you know, because Clark came out of, well, he was originally in America, but you know, he started his the large part of his career in England. First time I saw him was in uh, the movie Outland, Sean Connery, where um, you know he tries to assassinate Connery at the end. And then, uh, then I'd seen him in, in some other stuff. I think he was also in uh, Mona Lisa, I believe. But uh, but you know, you know, it's just you know, black actors who impress you, and you always happen to see them pop up and other stuff, and and you know. Uh, and then I get a chance to work with him. You know, it, 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 the name was really cool. So so it was great to see that character. You know, but he was always more the the intellectual of the bunch. The, the mastermind who able to, like, step out. Uh, but he does write by Kima as well. Yeah. And he and not only that, he he's going to kick someone off on the side so he can get her in. <laughs> I love how Kima went to... Who do I not like right now? <laughs> I love how Kima went to Daniels uh, on that. To, and Daniels went on to Rawls. It kind of shows the, the the ways through to 
Well, it is all like it's like anything in life. It's who you know. Yeah, absolutely. So in the previous episodes, we've been we've been separating the school from the boys, but this is where they perhaps come together in their storylines. Yeah, school's in. Yeah, for summer. School's yeah, I was going yeah, to no, say it. Work. It doesn't work. Summer's over. <laughs> School's in for autumn. School's or fall. For fall, yeah. Fall, as you all say over there. You, you Americans. Yeah. You guys on the other side of the pond. Don't so, we Sorry. see... <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> so we, just lost, we just lost all our American listeners. They're out. <laughs> They're gone. That's half our base, man. <laughs> so, I like that we see... Um, school, school, school is like a... A real leveler, isn't it? It's a mm. level playing ground. It's neutral ground for everybody, no matter yeah. where you're coming from. And you see, we see all the boys coming together from their different backgrounds, but they're all wearing the same uniforms. Yeah. Um, and, but but yet you can't. Your home life kind of still follows you in there a little bit, and you get that with, with Dookie. There's a lovely little moment where Randy just subtly hands him his lunch. Did Brilliant. you Lovely, that? I saw that. It's beautiful. Um, and this is part where we told in episode one these guys take care of each other they they can rip into each other but no one else can do so they're tight within each other apart from and again hissable character but also played amazingly when we, when they go to, to uh, Naaman's house and Naaman's oh, doesn't let man. Dookie go into into the house that is I, I fucking stood up from the chair <laughs> how dare you not let Dookie into that house I can completely see why I know it's like this one. It's one thing kids teasing kids, and that kind of is you know it's unfortunate, but it's going to happen. But she's a fucking grown ass woman, and that's and it's it's despicable. It's it's tight. It's it's not tight. It's it's terrible. And but the way the Dookie just kind of was like, oh, okay, this is he's just resigned oh, to that kind oh, of. Oh, sad. Yeah, that's yeah. just his life. He's used to being a pariah. Yeah. I I I think that that episode with Dookie, which I'm a little tear came up in my eye. Um, Jermaine, Jermaine Crawford, Jermaine played it excellent. His mother and I went to junior high school in D.C. This is actor Sandy McCree, who played the absolutely hissable Delanda Bryce. And the tear comes up in my eye because that scene was like, and it was like, I, it was like one of my short days. It was slamming the door in his face. So I'm like, OK, whatever. When he comes up, all the boys coming in. I'm all excited, you know, little play dates for naming, you know, they're doing their little thing. Coming home, you know, to my house. I love, I love when the kids hang out. Um, and then Dookie brings his dirty butt up in there. I think it wasn't her feeling superior. I think it was her not wanting to go back to that. I think that's what she. It's a reminder. It's a reminder of a life that she wants no part of ever again. So that's when she's looking, and she slams that door. That's what it is. She slammed that door on her past life. That's all my backstory. Oh, man, Sandy. Uh, dude, Sandy, it, it's interesting the character she plays because she just happens to be one of the sweetest women on the planet. This is, of course, the one and only Naaman, played brilliantly by Julito McCullum. Yo, even when I, I moved to L.A. in 2018 for a bit, and she took care of me like I was her son. That's just who she is. She's just a sweet, kind lady and just an amazing actress. And she, we had that mother and a son relationship on set and it worked out perfectly for the characters. Um, and their relationship, man, you know what it is that, that Delanda Bryce was, she lived in scarcity, man. There was all about scarcity for them. How she didn't want to be what she saw outside of her house, 
outside of her apartment. She wanted her son to have a different life. And all she knew was the drug world. And all she knew was, I have this kid who's from this, this, this Barksdale organization. And I, that's the only hope we have is this, this drug world. And we have to use this drug world as much as we can. And, and she had to do what she had to do, man. And of course, was it right or wrong? I think it's, it's, it's kind of hard to tell, but she, she only knew one thing. And I think that's the issue in those communities, man, is those folks have no other options and what they feel, right? They have no other options. So they have to be, what they have to do. Um, and she was, you know, probably from a broken home herself and didn't have much. She knew what it was to suffer and she didn't want that for her son. So she pushed him into a world that she, she may not have, it may not have been the right decision, but it was in her head, her only decision. Let's talk about Dookie for a minute. Cause we get, he doesn't say much. You don't get, you don't get much from Dookie, but like what his thread through this whole episode is just literally finds a broken air conditioner and throughout the course of the episode he just oh, you see him tinkering away until it, he fixes it at the end and this is day one mm. man it's like so it's like the potential in Dookie as a, as a as the intelligence and the creativity it's just so tragic to yeah. see it be crushed like that it's smushed to bits I initially auditioned for Michael you're listening to Dookie himself, played by actor Jermaine Crawford. A few times, like three times, and then they threw me donut, and then they were like, no, 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 like, for the screen test, when I, um, when it was me, David, Nina, um, rest in peace, um, uh, oh my goodness, uh, Robert Chu, sorry, rest in peace, Robert Chu, um, I went and did the Dookie screen test, and that was an experience also. <laughs> That was an experience because when I auditioned, um, I was still a little timid. I mean, this is like bigger than anything I've ever done. And I, I did what I thought was a good audition. And I remember him saying like, cut, give me a second. Let me go outside and talk to her. So he pulled me to the side and he was like, look, boy, this role is yours. Like, give it to us. Let it go. Lose yourself in this room. This is yours if you want it. And, um, yeah, I took those words and I went back and I smashed it. Kind of unfortunately at the time where I was in my life, I was just really in a space where I could easily identify with Dookie, you know, just kind of still figuring it out, feeling a little ostracized a little bit, sometimes like the oddball. And um, that, and I think, you know, I think especially like Nina Noble and David Simon, they know they smell blood in the water. So, um, I think I, I, I truly identify with that character. Then you have like the Dookie, who's literally like, oh, like if you had anyone who gave a shit about you, like you had intelligence. You're listening to Maestro Harrell, who played Randy Wagstaff. You know what I mean? There's a ton of, key, I mean, there's a lot of people who I know or I've just seen and they don't get a chance to reach their full potential just due to, you know, society, life, whatever. But man, like when you see people who are really actually gifted but there's there's no outlet it just shows you that it's it, you know um yeah it's it just it just shows you you know things aren't fair you know things aren't fair not every and not everybody uh not everybody gets a crack at the at opportunities that they should because you know at the end of the day it all comes down from you know where you're from who you know What's your certain? Because at the end of the day, it's like, man, just even 
Adinky had a, even if he had somebody who cared as much, how Naaman's mom cared about him being a hustler. If, if, if he had somebody who gave a half a shit, so, you know what I mean? Not, clean, that's what I'm saying. Just, just clean clothes and be like, hey, you know, we got these food stamps. We're just going to go to school. We'll, we'll figure it out. As an aside to the four boys in the school, we see Prez Belusky, um taking his first classes and being way out of his depth. <laughs> so out of his depth. I, I had the sweats watching Prez <laughs> in this classroom, right? Because my, my, it's one of my worst fears. It's a job I could never do. I like a teacher. Being a teacher. Like I have some serious... All right, I have some some fears in my life. Like, I, I fear, like, things I can imagine myself that would be the worst nightmare for me. One is, like, a lot of people, like, being in prison. I think I wouldn't survive a day. No, yeah, sure. Um, but it, also, a close second is being a teacher in a classroom. <laughs> with ca- How do people do it? My God. It's, it's they superheroes. Eat me alive. Not all heroes wear capes. They really are yeah. superheroes. Uh, although he starts off the wrong footing with... One of the lamest jokes I've ever seen. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so awkward. This is curb your enthusiasm <laughs> level cringe. Just wants to get your head and bury it under the sand and then this. then dig yourself to the centre of the earth because uh, it was that bad, you, that bad you a just, joke. You just, forever reminder for everyone, he does the, the old, my name is Mr. Presbyluski, but you can call me Mr. Presbyluski. Good morning. I'm your homeroom teacher, obviously. My name is Mr. Presbyluski. You can call me Mr. Presbyluski. And and you just know he'd been practicing that he in did. the mirror, right? Okay, let's find out who you are. This is... He, he woke up thinking... <laughs> oh, <laughs> I got it. Yeah, that's going to kill. That's win him kill. over win him over quick. <laughs> Bit of humor. Man, he's, he's doomed. It's like... And nobody in any new job wants to have to be rescued by somebody else over and over again. You know, that teacher keeps having to come in. To we need to learn the name of that teacher because she is fucking brilliant. And she, kept, badass. she commands respect just yeah. with her voice. But also, cutting straight to the end of this episode, and this is why I linked it with the Dookie bit because he fixes, he fixes the fan at this point. Um, a sideline, a B-plot in this episode is two two female students who were at odds with each other and it comes to a boiling point where the one is getting one is getting, kind of getting attacked she pulls out a standing knife or a box mm. cutter and slashes the, the, this other girl's face fucking brutal scene yeah really brutal it's, it's the la- and it's the last scene of the episode I yeah think. and it's so a, they leaves leave it leaves us on, that note. on such a sour note but this, this other teacher she comes in and she just gets she sorts it out straight away she pulls the fight apart um that tells you that it's not her first time. It's right? not her this first is, time. That tells you how common this can be. Yeah. And Prez, and by stark contrast, Prez is completely ineffective. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. He's an, a by a bystander. You might as well be another this. pupil there. Yeah. Um, it's a horrible way to end the episode. It's a horrible thing to happen. Yeah. Um, but we're okay. Randy, Randy, Naaman, and and Michael. Well, we get we get like we see a lot of Randy's entrepreneurial spirit here don't it's we again hijinks, yeah. like oh my god that, like how he's a bit like Lester Freeman and unleashing his master plan right <laughs> so he's got he sees, spots the opportunity firstly he's, he knows how to play Prez straight away does the handshake nice to meet you he yeah. knows it's all smiles oh, beautiful uh, can I have a hall pass sir it takes a whole bunch beautiful he's got, he's got the he's, <laughs> he's got his like he's like it's like prison break he's got his like Slips out when there's the fight with the girls. It, it just he could not have. He could. He was just waiting for a time. It could have been press sneezing. 
but <laughs> yeah. conveniently it was something that was like okay this is actually a big ruckus he I can get out moment. Yeah, it's seamless yeah, it's like beautiful. the execution <laughs> of Randy's master plan is just flawless <laughs> he's got down at the locker gets the clothes on and he's selling Twizzlers down in the yeah, for, <laughs> down in the canteen to different grades on. oh yeah. my god he's, it's awesome <laughs> I love Randy in this we speak of potential like all the boys have so much potential don't they yeah except name it and that's 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 the <laughs> That's the heart. That's the source of the heartbreak. Because if they had, if they had nothing going for them, then yeah, then you'd be like, "Well, you got nothing going for you." Bro. Yeah, yeah. But each of them got potential in different ways, uh, as we talked about the archetypes um, in the first episode. But the potential hasn't been realised yet for, um, I guess, Michael and Naaman yet. But with with Dookie and and Randy, we can see it. Like we yeah. can see the seeds They're of that coming through. It. Yeah. I feel like that they were all kids though. Like it was, we weren't on like no, not another teen movie type where the high school kids were like twenty in their twenties. Like no, they were, we were all, they were all young, young lesbians. This is the voice of Nathan Corbett who played Donut. They were all young actors, you know, and so um, and that was one of the good things about the city, right? And that's that's one of the good things about that season, which made it so authentic was that they really pulled from these different places. And, and also, Mr. Robert Chu, who played um, Prop Joe, he ran he ran uh, uh, a Thesbian club around here called um, Arena Players, which still goes on. And I think it's one of the oldest black theaters in America, one of them. And um, clearly... He works with he like he was our acting coach like as as the us the kids and stuff he was our acting coach on set and so he the kids that he would work with at the um at at the arena players they would they would like some of them would audition for the show and some of them would have roles right so some of the kids that were in the um that were in those school scenes like um uh actually Rashad Rashad Orange he played um. Bubbles, little, he played Bubbles Man, and um, Sherrod, Sherrod, I'm sorry, Sherrod, Sherrod Orange and his, his sister Rakaya, they both, both I think, were in a real play, players under Mr. Chu as well, you know, and so um, that's one of the things that made it so authentic was they really pulled actors from, kid actors from the area, right, and really gave these kids a chance and, and put these kids on a major, major platform for well, us put us on a major, I'm playing these kids like I'm not one of them, and put us all on a major platform. And that's what, like I said, what made the show so authentic. But now in Florida, they have a way of creating um, schools that you apply to, um, that you can get into through a lottery, um, where um, they require the parents to come to PT meetings and they have dress code and all this kind of stuff. And if you don't do it, you get kicked out. And so it's a way of sort of self-selecting and and elevating um, kids who have motivated parents out of the general schools, um, which are still much better than the ones that we're seeing in the wire. I mean, they're much better. But but um, you know, it, it's it's odd to see public school systems struggle to educate average children. You know, um, there really should be a way to give average kids the best educational experience possible. And in too many communities, we've seen the school systems kind of give up on the average kids and just try to figure out how to harvest the kids who are the smartest and the ones who are going to go on to college and the ones who are talented. 
uh, either athletically or uh, intellectually. And then, you know, the rest of the kids are just kind of left to fend for themselves, which um, is not is not great. Um, so um, The Wire, you know, is telling that story in sharp relief in the fourth season. But some of those some of those um, some of those scenes are hard for me to watch. That was it. That's Pat Moran, man. She made sure she placed real kids in that school. Um, some were actors, of course, but the majority were just kids, man. And it really was ran like a real school. So imagine you try to have hundreds of kids pay attention to. And so it felt like school, man. It felt like my neighborhood. It felt like when I was in middle school. Um, and there's a weight that you that that carries, right? That you're trying. Like, yeah, we are actors on this show and but this is their real life and we have to do it justice because if we don't, we we get to, we, we, we're there to tell the story for those who can't speak. Right. And, um, I, I, I felt an immense sense of gratitude that I wasn't, that wasn't my life anymore, but also it was humbling. It was in a, a humbling experience and those kids were the best, man. I had so much fun, especially, you know, when my character got to be in like a more intimate space with them. Uh, it was, those kids are amazing, man. Some of them still reach out to me to this day, which is beautiful. I think it's fair to finish on just the, the last two boys of summer. It's been a quiet episode for these guys, but um, we see Michael with, with his, with Bug. Oh yeah, we meet his little brother. But oh my yeah. god, he's the cutest little kid. And Dude. and oh my god, Michael. This isn't what makes you love Michael even more, doesn't mm. it? Because he's just this perfect older brother. Protective old, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, oh, doing his so shoelaces, adorable. making sure he's he's at school at the school gates. Where's Michael? Oh, he's, oh. he's making sure he gets to school on time. God. As a father of two boys, you're just like I. This is like if 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 my. If my boys could be anything like <laughs> Michael and Bug, besides all the drug dealing <laughs> and all the murder that surrounds them, I'd be very happy. Um, and then the also piece, the other piece to finish on, I guess, is is Naaman um, walking into school with his brand new clothes, with his brand new that clothes. His mom got him. Yeah, um, and the bling. And I mean, my school wore. I had school uniform in my school, and if I turned yeah, up, me too, without school uniform it would be very apparent and they would say, why aren't you wearing school uniform? Take it off. Take off that shit, put your school this uniform back exactly on. exactly what happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Within seconds. And he looks, oh man. But like he knew, he kind of knew it was going to happen. Oh, I like I liked it. He's just fronting, isn't he? That's what I like about name and like he's, he's quite a dick and very <laughs> kind of brash and egotistical. But I like that he's like, he's got confidence and yeah. he knows that he's going to have to take it off he doesn't even get 10 steps in the door no. but he does it anyway and it's kind of him expressing himself in a way yeah, absolutely. which I quite like as well yeah he had those kids at school who was you know they had the big earrings or they put you know boys weren't allowed to wear ear, ear piercings but they did but they put a plaster over it yeah, kind yeah. of thing you're like why bother <laughs> but I, lo I do love his confidence yeah, yeah. absolutely uh, and I love I love. he's a bit he's kind of the more the uh the Joker in the in the classroom as well. Like every classroom's got one. Absolutely. Like the Andre thing with Prez and the <laughs> Andre from the West Side. Yeah. yeah. Traveling <laughs> eighty miles per hour from West Baltimore. Oh, <laughs> uh, Prez. Yeah. I was just again about to Prez in that and that that lesson. I was just like, oh, Prez. I like that he switched it up by the end of the day. He's like, right, the train's not going to work. We'll do a rocket ship. <laughs> they can't stick someone. They can't stick Andre from into a rocket ship. <laughs> Um, who who do you think solved, you know, Prez finds this 
bit of paper I, at the end. Someone has perfectly solved his math. I initially problem. thought Dookie, but at the same time, I don't know if it was. Yeah, I don't know because it didn't seem like Dookie was sitting towards the back. Yeah, exactly. It's just by. I guess it doesn't matter who it was, just as long as so, he knows someone, someone did, did it. it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that I think that's for a lot of teachers. I know that you know that one kid is paying attention, or that one kid is doing it, even if they're in a sea of not bad kids. That's, that, <laughs> that's the, that, that the gratification that you is, get. Yeah, yeah. That must be what keeps you going. Because you're right that 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 some that final scene with Perez kind of sums up what being a t- what I imagine being a teacher is like. Because he first, it's like mostly very disheartening. Mm-hmm. Like he starts with turning the desks over and oh god, the chewing's got to scrape all that chewing gum off again. Yeah. Then he finds this thing and is like, oh my god, I reached somebody. And then he picks up a paper and says, fuck you, Prez, or something. <laughs> fuck Prez, bro. <laughs> fuck Prez, bro, on the desk. So it's just like, yeah, so it's kind of like shit sandwich, really. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor Prez. A shit sandwich, but it's two pieces of shit with a nice thing in the middle. The yeah, bread's so in the middle. Shit. Not so ham. The, the shit is the bread. Yeah. But it's got like ham and cheese in the middle. So you're saying yeah. double, double the shit. So it's double the shit, yeah. Yeah. I think that was a pretty clean metaphor. (laughs) And that's it for episode three. A huge thank you to uh, the amazing people that we got to to speak to um, this this season and this episode. Yeah, I mean, I'm always astonished at the people who send us an email back and say, yes, I will do it. Um, So so thank you so much. Um, And it takes a lot of time to transcribe and write these interviews down so it's in a cohesive form. And we use Sonics, that's Sonics, um, transcribing software to do that for us. And if you want to get a little little something off Sonics and you want to help with transcription, go to sonics.ai forward slash invite forward slash stripped and you get a little discount courtesy of us. And you might have seen uh, the our amazing artwork um, for this season, the, mm. the uh, illustration of the Four Boys of Summer. That was done by uh, the brilliant Michael uh, Balistreri. And you can uh, look at all his work at Black Snow comics on instagram and of course thank you to izzy lawrence who produced our lovely logo yeah uh cheers as always to sam and martin from the song by song podcast for making the tune the version of way down in the hole that you guys can listen to now and thank you to the one the only legend producer obi yeah and of course our lead producer and sometimes fact checker and editor yeah well always our editor uh tom t-bone wally sometimes editor sometimes he's editing this show um and then uh, you can also chat to us at the all the socials at the wire stripped and if you want to leave us any messages uh, we always love to hear from you guys uh, so send us an email to burner at the wirestrips.com uh, as and as mentioned we've got a patreon patreon.com forward slash the wire strip head over there for loads of good stuff and all of your money goes to the ella thompson fund yeah uh, finally, uh, final plug, uh, do leave us a little review um, on your favourite podcast, the same app that you're using to listen to this right now. Just give a little tap, the five-star tap. Um, it's much appreciated and it helps other people to find the show. And uh, we'll be back in a week to watch more of The Wire. Uh, the next one is called Refugees, episode four. See you there. You just heard a stripped media production. <laughs>